0: This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western Big Game hunting and fishing, and I'm your host, J. Scott. I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a a guest from Dutch John, Utah, from the Flaming Gorge Resort. We have Woody Bear, and um, I met Woody actually last summer. Uh, when I took a couple friends of mine, Jack Olson and MJ Mastelier, up to the Green River to do some fly fishing and uh, was in the Flaming Gorge uh, fly shop there at, at the, um, and uh, met Woody and he talked to us about the river and what was going on and we just happened to catch the cicada hatch and um, Woody, it's good to have you this morning. How are you doing? Good,
1: Jay. Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, um, I know it's going to be a good show, and my listeners are going to really uh, learn a lot. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit of history about the Flaming Gorge uh, Reservoir, how it came about, and uh, you know why it was why it was made and such.
1: Sure. So the uh, the Flaming Gorge, like many other big reservoirs, um, were all kind of built during the same kind of time period of uh, of uh, on the, on the Colorado River. Um, and, and really the main reason was irrigation and water storage and then of course the dams came along with that were able to do you know they were able to get the hydroelectric power um, component of that as kind of the sidelight so really uh, a neat thing that bureau of reclamation did was was create these reservoirs and, and in turn created world-class tailwater fisheries that uh, are completely protected against salinity you know for the most part and uh you know and are protected rivers like nowhere else it's uh, it's a it's a great opportunity um of course the the flaming gorge dam was built um started in the late 50s and they dedicated it i think in 1964 um and during that same time of course the uh, the flaming gorge lodge was was uh owned and operated and uh and uh, that was the start of this business and and then the uh and then the start of many other businesses rafting companies fishing companies charter companies rentals um all kinds of economic uh economic uh growth happened for for our small county
0: yeah and um woody you're in actually in utah but you're very close to the wyoming line uh is that correct and how much of the actual flaming gorge reservoir is in utah and how much is in uh Wyoming and how long is the lake uh, maybe some is it how how deep is it how long is it give me some of those. Um.
1: Sure the lake is uh, about 91 miles long um, and that would they measure that from approximately the dam up into the river confluence up near Green River um, Wyoming. The majority of the lake is actually in Wyoming there's uh, there's probably the better part out I'm gonna I'm not sure the exact number but I'm guessing probably in the range of 50 to 60 of those miles are in Wyoming. There's 364 miles of shoreline, um, which and there's uh, there's three marinas. There's tons of boat docks and, and access points around the lake. Um, we tend to think that we are the prettier end of the lake. This is more of the, <laughs> the canyon end of the lake um, up, up into the Wyoming area. It's kind of more flat, and it's kind of uh, – it's shallower. Oftentimes in the Wyoming portion, you know, you're talking maybe 60 to 100-foot depths, which is still pretty deep. But when you get down into the canyony parts, so we can see we can see depths up to 300 feet. Um, wow. So when we're when we're fish, you know, using our fish finders or depth finders and kind of uh, messing around and the like, we're seeing some pretty deep depths. But oftentimes, you'll see a lot of 150, 200 plus um, areas.
0: Wow! And the the fish primarily in the reservoir. Um, what are the, what are the main fish as far as numbers of of game fish such in in the reservoir are they is it you know trout is it uh, bass what what is it
1: so really the what we've really become known for is two main game species the lake trout which have gotten huge over the years um the largest lake trout that's ever been caught is over 52 pounds um, that we often catch them in the 40s and 30s um so the lake we've become a world renowned in fact i i would have to i would put us up against anywhere in the lower 48 i don't think anybody in the lower 48 can catch the lake trout maybe some canada lakes but but lake trout is really our premier big game fish our other main species is kokanee salmon which they're uh, a landlocked uh, uh, strain of salmon and they spawn in the lake there's two strains one spawns in the lake and one spawns in sheep creek and a few of the tributaries and oftentimes in the fall you can go and check those out. Those are the two main game species that people come from all over that they can't really get anywhere else. We also, of course, have trout, rainbow trout. There's a few browns left in there, not as many as there used to be. Um, and there's bass. It's a big, it's a great smallmouth bass fishery. Uh, a lot of times we're catching three to five pounders. There's a lot of dinks, but, but the bass has, has come a long ways. There's carp. There's... Uh, Oh, man. there's well, The new invasive species that we've just got that we're not excited about is the burbot, um, which is a little freshwater lean cod. But they've been very popular with anglers through the ice, and guys are even starting to target them now in the summer. Um, and we fish for those mostly at night. So there's quite a few different species um, on the reservoir that a guy can target.
0: And your... Um you guys have guide services that not only we'll get to later fish in the Green River down below the dam in, in all the trophy water down there, quality water. Uh, but you also your guide services also offer uh, service for the uh, the kokanee and the um, the lake trout. We actually and, and the smallmouth. Or we actually no?
1: don't have a permit for the lake. There okay. are many good companies around the reservoir that that um, that do target, especially the lake trout and the kokanee. Okay. Um, and, and we help people sign up with those guys all the time. There's a couple that are real close within, you know, short, short driving distance, five minutes or less. There's also okay. a lot out of Manila. If, if you want to target those big trophy like trout, we definitely want to, you know, highlight the two or three different guys that can really help with that.
0: Sounds good. And, um, Woody, how long have you been actually, were you born and raised right there or when did you move up there and, and start uh, working at the resort?
1: So we started – this is a – we are starting – this is a third-generation business, the original business in the '56, Like I said before, the – my father-in-law, my wife's grandfather, I guess, bought the business in 1971, and my father-in-law and his brothers worked it, and now we're into the third generation. My wife was born and raised here, uh, went to school in all the little towns here. Um, I've been here for 10 years. Nice. My wife and I met um, at college, and then we uh, we came back, and this we're going into our tenth season. I guess we've been here nine years. We're going into our tenth season.
0: That's fantastic. And um, at the resort itself, you guys uh, have a fly shop, a restaurant, a motel. You have also, I believe, like some condos type type stuff. Tell tell me a little bit about that. What you guys offer there?
1: We have a really diverse property here. We have, of course, a in my mind, a world-renowned fish, fly shop, we have more flies than just about anyone else. We sell so many flies, and we have such a diverse patterns that you won't be able to find this diverse group of flies anywhere. I would, I would bet against that. We have a fully stocked sh- shop, and, of course, we have little you know souvenirs and gift items. We have a, a great restaurant. We serve three meals a day in our restaurant. We, of course, have gas station. We have 48 rooms of different types. We have basic motel packages, you know, two-bed packages. And we have what we call condo suites, which are like a one-bedroom apartment. They have a fully appointed kitchen, a living room, um, bigger bathrooms, everything. Those are really popular if people want to come and cook. Um, we have, uh, those are also outfitted outside with barbecues. and um, We also have um, RV Park, and we just expanded our RV Park another 47 sites. So now we have over 60 sites of RV from and we can take pretty much anything up to a 100 foot um, and down to tent sites we have, also offer raft rentals we have rafts inflatable kayaks we have inflatable paddle boards we have uh, fishing cataracts and a drift boat even that we rent um, We have boat storage we you name it we have it we this is a fantastic place
0: yeah I'm having gone there many times over. Over the years, um, I've, I've stayed in a lot of different uh, parts of your rooms and such, uh, as far as the lodging, and ate, ate at the restaurant a bunch of times, uh, and of course, the what you're saying about the fly shop is absolutely true. It's uh, mind-boggling when you actually go in there and start going through the fly bins, which, obviously, I, I'm a little bit of a tackle junkie as far as uh, you know all types of fishing, but uh fly fishing for sure i mean i just love to come and look in the bins and and um talk to the guys at the shop about all the different patterns and it's amazing how you guys have you know patterns that are local patterns that work specifically for the river and then as well as you can take a lot of those patterns and use them at Lee's ferry or the san juan or you know on freestone rivers as well um but the variety of of patterns is just mind-boggling um, just, just a fantastic opportunity to, to, to look at amazing flies.
1: Well, I appreciate that. The other comment that we get a lot on our flies is, is that, you know, you, you, you go to a, a store and I won't name the names, let's call them big box stores for, for lack of a better term, big box, uh, sports stores. Oftentimes you can go in there and find a lot of the flies, similar flies that we carry, but they're, they're in the, really the wrong sizes for us. Tailwater fisheries, normally you need smaller flies. We have we have parachute atoms down to 26, and good luck finding a 26 parachute atoms at a big store. You know, yeah. they sell 14s and 16s. You know, just things like that. The more specialized stuff that's really critical when you get into tailwater fisheries and, and, and finicky fish, clearwater fisheries, you know, those fish a lot of times are spooky and they're scared, and you want to have the right size stuff. And really, that's what we specialize in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and uh let's talk a little bit about those fish in the A, B, and C section. Um I fish the green quite often. I've been there in March and April for the the midge and the blue winged olive uh hatch and I've been in, been there in the summer multiple times for uh the cicada hatch and um, caught some great days uh, with the ant patterns and some of the different stuff. What's going on on, on the river right now with the blue olives, and uh, how has their timing been? And w- what do you see the forecast being say for the next thirty days for fishing there? So it's
1: so I want to just preface. I mean, the main thing that we all really have got into fly fishing for was to fish dry flies, and really we will be able to fish dry flies pretty much now through the end of the summer with with varying degrees of success, but but dry flies are kind of everything that excites us about the green river not only the water clarity and the dry flies but the the quality of fish and the fish conditions are fantastic right now rainbows with shoulders and big fat bellies good stout browns and things are really looking up for us we had a fantastic dry fly year last year we look forward to that again this year right now we're seeing tons of midges um of course midges are always gonna be small when it's cold. We see all those little tiny midges and fish just kinda sip in the surface. Um and it's and it's a lot of fun. We are starting to see the blueings kinda pop. You know, right now we're just seeing the onesie, twosies, you know, not really the big rafts of blue wings that we will see in April. And that's really when our season really kicks off, is when those big rafts of blue wings kinda start floating down the river. And um we look forward to that. Everything looks to be on track. Um we like to see, you know, kind of the normal spring patterns with a little bit of snow and rain, and then the melting cycles, and that all pretty much lends to what we what we forecast in the next thirty days.
0: And uh, blueings are a cloudy bug. I mean, if you have cloudy days, you are going to have, you know, pretty epic hatch hatches. Am I correct in saying that? So there is
1: because of the blueing is in the Mayfly family. My understanding is that they're, they're going to hatch almost every day. The difference of when you have overcast or rainy or or humid days is when they emerge, when they're in that final adult life cycle and they come out of the water, they emerge in the water, their wings will spread. On a bright sunny day, their wings um, dry out really fast and they can pop off the water really quickly. On an overcast day or a day where it's even snowing or raining, when they emerge, their wings stay wet and they can't fly off. So the adult basically just sits and bobs along the surface of the water And then the fish really get keyed on them. And that's really why it feels like there's really more on the cloudy days. Those straight sunny days, they'll be flying all around, but there won't be any fish rising or very few. And those cloudy days or the rainy days, the fish are going nuts and just
0: gorging on them. From a tactical standpoint, as far as on a sunny day, Uh, the fish may not be keyed in on the surface, but they would still be taking the emerger patterns and such below the surface, correct?
1: Absolutely. So what we would look for on those days is a suspended fish. And we try to dig, you know, you try to look and see, especially with our water clarity, it makes it a little bit easier, but you can see where they're suspended. So a lot of, oftentimes, if you see them just under the surface where you're just seeing backs and noses, they're eating emergers. So you want to fish something that's going to be in that water column, whether it's a a merger in the film or a wet emerger just under the surface on a short dropper. Maybe it's unweighted. So you can just stay in that 3-inch water column. And then, of course, if you see them in the 6 to 12 to 18 inch or even deeper, then we're going to try to figure out how to get to that level, whether it's uh, a tungsten bead or a, or a gold bead, something that's going to get to that level, maybe do a dry dropper. And if they get below that, then I pretty much mostly recommend, you know, we're going to have to go to a, a straight frig. If you're doing a dry and a 6-foot dropper, you're probably really nymphing anyway, so um, you know we have to just roll with those those changes.
0: Yeah, and right now you've got conditions where the the midges are the predominant hatch. Uh, and do you fish, uh, you know, Griffiths nass and stuff like that when they're when they're rising on midge clusters, or are you mainly nymphing and really picking the fish off as as the midges are uh, emerging? Both.
1: <laughs> so really, okay. we're seeing about an hour to an hour and a half a, a day of the real hard midge hatch where the fish seem to really be keyed on them. And, you know, the timing, of course, varies a little bit. But, but you know, if you were noon to one, you know, in that range of that warm part of the day, you'll see the fish really actively eating midges. The other thing that I like to tell people, too, is that, you know, we got to remember that that big 18-inch fish or 20-inch fish or whatever he is oftentimes isn't going to expend a lot of energy for a size 22 or a 24. He's just going to be slurping. So things in, in cluster patterns like griffus gnats or paramating midge or, or little emergers that are just in the surface film, those are really what they're eating, what they're kind of keyed in on. Because um, what they'll do is wait for those big clusters to happen, you know, when there's a foam line or a, a scum line, and then they'll just can get a mouthful at a time. Instead of eating one skittle at a time, they get a one big
0: bite. Absolutely. And um are you seeing browns and rainbows both uh you know rising or is it predominantly browns or predominantly rainbows?
1: Boy, that's a tough one. That you know generally and this is one of the big general generalizations of fishing is that the the rainbows tend to like the more oxygenated water and the browns tend to like the more pocket slow water. That doesn't mean that they can't go in the other places. So it kind of depends on where you're fishing. If you're in the faster riffly water, let's say lower A section, you know, typically we'll start to see a few more rainbows in those areas. Uh, In the slow water, slick water stuff in the upper A or maybe in the lower B, we'll start to see kind of a higher concentration of browns. Um, I don't know that you can say one or the other is, is only eating those.
0: Okay. And you talk about A, B, and C section. Can you give me a little bit of just a rundown on each section and maybe some of the common areas? Um, I I believe in the A section all the way down to Little Hole, there's a hiking trail. um, I believe on the river left side. Um, Can you just kind of walk me through all three sections Sure. and give me kind of the characteristics of each? Sure.
1: The A section is really the the pinnacle of what the green reputation is it is a beautiful deep canyon um, it's the a section is technically about seven miles long um, the upper half of that or or is a lot of the pocket water so there's big pools deep pools um, and some slick water and it's a slower moving section um, and that of course is from the dam down When you get about mid-river down, you start to see more riffly water. We call it the fast water. So you see a lot more long, wide, river-wide riffles, a few more rapids, a little more concentration of rapids on the lower A, Uh, more rocky areas. You know, in this area, we tend to fish, you know, trying to hit those little, you know, especially with dries, you're going to try to hit the little pocket water behind all the eddy breaks. The A section is most notably known for the the high fish population. Um, Because of the dam and the way they're structured with their they have a selective withdrawal unit, they can kind of change the temperature of the river. So they try to maintain that and that's good for food growth and also good for bug growth. So that section, the A section, averages about 15, 12 to fifteen thousand fish per mile. So it's the the fish count is amazing.
0: Isn't that like some of the highest in the in the country? But as far as trout, I,
1: I believe so. I don't think there's very many places. I mean, I, I know that there's some other rivers that they, they talk about 50 to to a thousand, you know, fish per mile like it's great. <laughs> yeah. And it's like there's nothing compares to this. And in fact, the mile right by the dam, they estimate that's right around 20,000. And the mile right near Little Hole is around 21,000 in that mile.
0: So, I mean, the first time I ever went to the green, we were floating down and like the first hundred yards, my buddies, you know, I was kind of taking it all in because it's a beautiful place with the canyon and the big walls and canyon walls and the, you know, beautiful cliffs and pine trees and stuff. And he's like, Jay, look in the water. And I'm, I looked down and it was the most, it was like you're in an aquarium because the water is, I mean, it was most of the time it's crystal clear. I mean, you can see to the bottom at all depths. And all you see is fish. It's unbelievable. Fish, so twelve yeah. to 15,000 in the A section. Yep. And, it, and that's okay. really what
1: is one of the things that just makes it incredible. So protected tailwater fishery with that kind of fish count, there's no other place that compares. And in fact, you know, just like what you are saying, oftentimes when our, when our guide clients are going down, they're looking at the canyon walls, we see deer, we've seen moose, we've seen bears, all those things on the A section. And in fact, we usually have to tell some of our clients that they have a fish on because they're just so enamored with with the scenery uh it's (laughs) it's absolutely amazing and so so the a section is the dam to little Hole, of course just like you said there's great access there's a walking trail down the river left the whole way and i would call it a probably a low moderate type of hike i mean it's it's you know there's a little bit of rocks but for the most part it's a well-maintained trail there's uh there's bathrooms um down around mile marker five, um, there's there's bathrooms, of course, at the dam and at Little Hole. So there's, there's plenty of facilities there. There is no camping or fires allowed on the A section, and that is to try to help maintain the pristine area because of the amount of use. Um, so when you go past Little Hole, like, let's say if you're drifting, then there's camps. There's a bunch of different camps all along both sides of the river that you can have fires that you can camp overnight. Um, And that's one thing that kind of – one thing that separates the A and the B section. The upper B section is a lot like the A. You still have a lot of the kind of the deeper canyon kind of feel. The lower section, when you get a little bit further down, is more flat water. So you get more grassy cut banks. That's really popular during hopper season when you get the little breeze in the afternoon pushes some of those hoppers in the river, and the fish can really key on them there. Uh, And the C section is really similar to the B. It's, uh, it's managed by the BM. it's a lot more flat water, um, and you get a lot slower moving stuff. The water clarity down there does become a little bit of an issue at times, even on the lower B section. Uh, um, but that's where, you know, it's kind of always been that the, there's less fish per mile, but oftentimes there's some bigger ones. So, you know, if you want to target more aggressive big browns, you know, we're stripping streamers down in the lower B and C sections and finding some success there
0: and um where would you say the biggest fish in in all of a b and c are they in a uh, right up by the dam or are they mixed throughout the whole river um where are the biggest fish in in all of those sections so the river
1: record was caught very close to the dam i mean i don't know um there was always controversy anytime that there's a record that he was too close to the dam and. Um, there's some really big fish that kind of just hang right at the bottom of the dam we we can't angle for them um they get they get fed by the people who take the dam tour they have little feeders and everything that gets you know kind of churned down through the dam so we know there's big ones there we've seen them come down further they've caught some big ones there you know those big fish don't normally eat bugs they're going to eat other fish they're going to eat big things dead things um over the last few years, though, we have seen a bigger emergence of larger twenty five inch plus fish you know in the in the b section twenty seven inch fish we found some there um We seem to be finding them still in b We once in a while will get one on the a but uh, because I think of the the amount of fish that are there, I think the big ones tend to be further down
0: gotcha, gotcha and um so with the blue-winged olives coming, the main time—if you had to pick, you know, say two weeks that year in and year out is typically the best time for blue-winged olives. When is that? When is that? Time I would period? say
1: second and third week of April. You know, if you okay. if you were trying to, to plan a trip, on that and it's always hard. We try to plan trips around blue-winged olives, around cicadas, around hoppers, around yellow sallies because those hatches are huge and the fish just go nuts. So blue-winged olives, I would say yes second third week of april maybe into the fourth week um uh, but we're so dependent on weather on those hatches that uh you know it can it can it can come and go without with we miss miss those time frames
0: sure absolutely and then uh may and june you move into cicada season uh how does the outlook look uh, how i was fished it last year several times for the cicadas um how does this season look for cicada season
1: Everything is pointing to be good. I mean, they, they traditionally would like uh, the warmer, drier kind of climate. Um, my understanding of cicadas, they burrow into the, the, the box elder trees and they, and they lay their eggs near the roots, underground. And so the soil needs to be to a certain temperature and a certain humidity. They, they pretty much hatch every year. There's just different amounts of them that will. So, so when those happen... You know, if the soil temperature is good and warm, and it's really dry, that's when we really start seeing cicadas. So, based on the weather patterns that I'm seeing, you know, we're we're really warm right now. It's supposed to be in the low fifties today here at seven thousand feet. It's incredible, and sixties over the next week. Um, you know, I I would venture to say that we should have a pretty good cicada hatch.
0: You know, I I have an unbelievable story, and you've probably heard it a million times. But uh, so we were floating down last June and. Um, both my buddies, uh, were rolling big cicada patterns and we were having just a heck of a time and just fish were exploding. It was unbelievable. And, um, one of my buddies, um, uh, had a fish on and he hammered a cicada. They actually, I believe had a double at one time and I think one of them got off and to make a long story short, the, uh, he, he, the guy that had his fish on, he actually broke, The cicada off and we thought oh the fly's gone the next thing we know the fly pops out so he broke it off but the fly popped up and we're floating along and we see his fly now floating on the top but it's now not connected to his rod and another fish came up and hit it and we're like oh my gosh that's unbelievable and then it went down for a second and we're just watching and about maybe Four seconds later, three seconds later, boop, the fly popped back up again, and we floated over and netted the fly. It was unbelievable. We had two fish hit it. Uh, awesome. it yeah. Um, but they get a little, um, they get fished at quite a bit in the cicadas. It, it's pretty common to have the, those fish bump the cicada and not actually hook up. Do you see that quite a bit?
1: I do. I, I would say that almost in every hatch, if you're on the twilight part of the hatches, you know, if you're towards the end of the hatches... They'll even get spooky enough. Or they won't even eat a natural until it sinks. Yeah. So you know you definitely want to be proactive on, on your planning. If 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 the word gets out that cicadas are going, you want to come. If you get to the third fourth week of cicada hatch, you know they they will get more finicky on that. And uh, I was just going to say, whatever type of floating you're using, that's we need a plug for that floating.
0: <laughs> we, we were, we, um, we went over and netted that fly and I think we retired it in the box because it was like, that's, that, that just can't happen. That was our big story when we got back to, uh, we were, we were, we, uh, stay the summers in Colorado. And so when we got back and told all our wives, they were kind of looking at us like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That was unbelievable. Yeah. We need some big uh,
1: documentation of those kind of stories. Yeah. We right. need, we need proof of that.
0: Um, going back to a tactical standpoint with the um, midge fishing right now and with the blueing olives coming up um, as a guy that fishes the river a lot, I mean, what length leader are you using and um, give me some of your presentation, you know, as far as if you're either floating or if you're, you know, walk waiting and some of, some of, you know, the, the tactics that you use to catch those fish. So a couple, uh,
1: couple of things I, I want to, say that the really the biggest problem here and i see this a lot of times it's not really a problem but but we see fish for instance especially midging fish and small flies we see them in the slick water and so we're like oh there's fish great the trick on these type of fish and this is something that i learned from fishing you know brookies and doing little tiny streams that are really finicky is you can't walk right up to them and then cast to them right there as much as we can see them, they can see us. And so really what you want to be is a little bit sneaky, and that, and I think that's really a lot of game stuff. You need to be sneaky. So, you know, a lot of times, like on slick water, I'm going to fish upstream eddies into the slick water from the farthest distances that I can see to fly. So oftentimes if you're standing on a jutty and below you is the slick water and the fish are right there, they'll go down just from your presence being there. So oftentimes I'll fish low river and we'll cast into the upstream current and then try to get a drift into that slick water from the upstream current. And that's something a lot of people don't do. We do that also from the boats. We'll anchor down below and then we'll fish upstream current to, to the slick And just just to be
0: currents. clear, you're talking about where the main river's coming by and it's creating a back eddy where then the water now is fl- flowing away, going back up river. Yep. You're going to be pr- presenting your fly. On the boat side or where you're standing side, and then letting it drift to up, basically going up river to the fish. Yep. Oftentimes, which, we'll st- which will be facing you, right? Yes. They'll be facing into the current.
1: Yep. And you'll be even facing up river. Um, it'll feel down river because you have an upstream current, but the main body will be going down, and you'll be facing up river. Gotcha. And so that's a pretty cool technique. And you'll you'll actually have to play out line so you can get a natural drift into those areas. Um, the other big mistake that I think a lot of people have is because of the fish pure population, there's fish all the way right near the edges, and especially on these small bugs, people oftentimes will just dive right into the water and walk out so you know chest deep and start fishing, and oftentimes miss quite a few fishing opportunities right next to the shore, right near the bank. You know, it's a good tactic to start fishing. Just drop your line in right at the very be- you know s- small and just. You don't even really cast. You're just kind of doing like a Tinkara type of style, just dropping the fly in and fish your way out and then move into the water. But oftentimes I I know that there's fish in certain areas and little seams right along the bank, and people just miss those opportunities. Yeah,
0: that's a great tip. Um, And then, Woody, doubling back to something you had said, so if you're fishing that upstream eddy and the current's going away from you and your fly is going away from you and the fish are out there and they're facing you, Tell me a little bit about your hook set when a fish is facing you, uh, because a lot of times guys will yank it right out of their mouth. What do you do to ensure a a good hook set?
1: Give yourself that little split second. If you can think about just even giving yourself just a little count. And then the other thing that I see a lot of times, too, is especially when you're playing out line in this situation, you're going to want to make sure that you don't have a lot of excess line. You'll miss all those fish with excess line. Midge fishing is some of the most rewarding fishing because you have to do everything perfectly. The fly has to be right. The drift has to be right. um, Your hook set has to be right. But it can also be one of the most frustrating because there's fish there, you know they're eating, and you just flat cannot get to them. So just give yourself a little bit of time. Slow yourself down a little bit. Give the fish the chance to go ahead and eat it and then do, you know, and you can just even do just a little bit of a strip set or just raising the tip. You got to think about that. When that fish bites that fly, it only has to move an eighth of an inch to be a hook set, so if you have a lot of extra line out and you're having to pull in three or four feet of line to try to get that set you'll never you'll never catch him
0: yeah that that's great stuff right there Woody what are you seeing as far as you said the fish are healthy um you know i I know what the fish at the Green River are like because I've fished there, but for people that haven't been. Um, and they're, let's say they're, you know, nice average anglers, uh, you know, they've, they fly fish quite a bit. I mean, what can, you know, as far as size of fish, what should they expect, uh, you know, common? Well,
1: you know, oftentimes I, you know, not everyone's always happy with the wildlife resource guys and what they do. We are thoroughly excited with what they've done. A few years ago, they changed the slot limit. So the slot is now 15 to 22. And what that's really done is that has really moved the needle. As far as we were catching a lot of 15-, 16-inch fish, now we're catching 18- and 20-inch fish. I mean, we were catching 20s last season like crazy. We're starting to see some good 20s now. Uh, You know, oftentimes in tailwater fisheries, especially when the water gets warm, you get really eely-looking fish. You know, they have a big head and a small body, kind of like post-spawn fish in, in, in higher lakes. Here we're seeing fish where their head is smaller than their body, where, you know, their body, you know, actually comes out all directions. Big, nice, we call them shoulders, big, nice bodies on them, nice, big, fat bellies. So you know that the health of the fish is really strong. Um, We don't really see a lot of chewed up fish. You know, we're seeing just good, strong, healthy fish. And one of the things that's amazing with the Green River is the coloration of fish rainbows that are bright pink and flushed almost spawn looking all the time browns with deep dark brown and orange coloration and you, you just don't see that everywhere
0: yeah i mean uh people look at my green river um photo album and they're just like wow jay what kind of filter did you use on your camera and this now and i'm like there is no filter that's the, that those fish are amazing uh the coloration is like you said it's amazing um woody uh in conclusion here, tell me about moving in from the blue-winged olive and then into cicada season, and then you, you have some fantastic fishing right during the middle of the summer. Can you briefly talk about what you have going on in those summer months? Sure. And, and even with the high traffic with the floaters and everything else, there's still some outstanding fishing.
1: There is. The fish don't ever stop eating. They have to eat every day just like us, you know, a big chubby guy. He's going to eat every day, and these big chubby fish are going to eat every day as well. So it doesn't matter if there's rafts floating over the top or if it's 100 degrees outside. They're still going to eat. Now, what we do is we're going to transition. The blue wings are our first big dry fly hatch. Then we traditionally will see kind of uh, uh, an ant, kind of small terrestrial kind of stuff that kind of starts to happen. Then if everything lines up, then we see the cicadas. And then we kind of um, go to like a yellow sallies, which is – Actually, a small stonefly, not a lot of people know that that's a really small stone. We don't get the big stoneflies, but we get the yellow sallies. And oftentimes, they're in a, like a 14 to 12 and a dry fly. And there'll be hatches that'll just blanket. And it looks like snow flying, but they're fluttering all over and the bugs go in your nose. It's awesome. Then we go from stonefly or, or yellow sallies to basically then we start getting into our you know, bigger terrestrials where we're going to see hoppers, we're going to see beetles, we're going to see all those things. And we want a good dry, hot summer for those things to kind of happen. So once you transition into hopper season, then it's just, we do a lot of hopper dropper stuff. Now the summer can be some of the most rewarding fishing, even though we don't really like fighting off rafters and those kind of things. That's what makes this so, this river so special is because it's it's an open river. They haven't, stopped anybody from coming and that's what really what makes it so unique so what we do tactically fishing wise is we just oftentimes that's the time we're going to go lower river Um, some of the b section and those grass cut banks that we talked about before are going to produce big hopper yields and big beetle yields and so we we will kind of concentrate we'll move a lot of our guiding clientele down into the lower river um, and to try to get away from those high high pressure days especially on the weekends weekdays It really is still no problem Um, on those weekends, those Saturdays, holidays, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, kind of long weekends. We're going to move them into the lower river and still get into plenty of
0: fish down there. Absolutely. And you have a fantastic guide service. So Your guides uh, are on the river every day. And um, how do my listeners uh, find you guys uh, as far as driving up there? You're up on top of the hill before you drop down. Uh, maybe give me some driving times from maybe Salt Lake City Airport or maybe from Denver. Um, how, how do people find you, and then how do you, how do they find you, a website and, and that type of stuff?
1: Well, all of our brochures, all of literature, everything that we print all leads us to the website. The website is flamingorgeresort.com. It's really easy. If you do a search for the Green River, we're going to pop up right at the top. Um, our Green River Fly Shop pops up right on top if you search for Green River. And there's links uh, that brings us all back to the to the FlamingGorgeResort.com website. You know, we are really very fortunate. We're centrally located between, kind of between Denver and Salt Lake. We, you know, it's, it's about three and a half hours from the Salt Lake Airport to here, driving-wise. Uh, people do often fly into uh, Vernal or Rock Springs. Uh, we can pick people up at the airport. Uh, we're about seven hours from, uh, from the front range. So from the Denver area, um, a lot of our clients, especially during high water, I mean, you know, Colorado guys love to come here on our protected fisheries when everything else is blown out. And we will see an influx of those guys, and we, we welcome them. Um, so it, it's a great place. So um, don't trust your GPS, as always, when you put in Flaming Gorge Resort. Oftentimes it puts us up into uh, into Wyoming. But there's some good driving directions and map directions on our website
0: oh great that's fantastic and uh well i uh look forward to getting up there um and doing some fishing uh this summer and uh, i just want to thank you for being with us and uh i know having been at the flaming gorge resort many many times uh, it's, it's it's a family family owned operation and it's just got a real nice family feel um you see a lot of families you see a lot of just all sorts of people and it's just a real friendly environment and I want to give you uh kudos for that for um creating that and you have a awesome staff there that you work with and um so thanks for being with us today and and shedding some light on the Green River and the Flaming Gorge Resort and uh uh we'll be maybe check in with you this summer and see how conditions are and uh I'll uh, look you up this summer okay
1: Jay, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, we'll be uh, we'll be letting you know when the cicadas are hopping too.
0: That sounds great, man. All right, you take care. Thank you. All right, buddy. Bye. bye. Well, that was very good to get to speak with Woody Bear of the Flaming Gorge Resort. Uh, I know last summer when I got to meet him, uh, he spent quite a bit of time with us just going over. How the fish were acting and uh, some of the different things uh, with the, the uh, nuances of the river and such. And, um, you know, I've floated it many times, but it's uh, amazing when you can talk with uh, locals that have, uh, you know, basically spent tons and tons of time uh, on a fishery, how much you can learn. And I just want to thank uh, Woody for being on with us. And uh, I want to thank you guys, our listeners. Uh, we've, just uh, this podcast seems to be just gaining uh, great momentum and uh, we're getting tons of positive comments and feedback and I get some great emails and I'm glad you guys are enjoying it uh, tell your friends about it uh, we appreciate the referrals we appreciate your support and uh, uh, if you go on iTunes you can give us a five-star rating uh, that helps us out with uh, our standing with iTunes and um, uh, just just thank you for your support. You can follow along at jscottoutdoors.com. Uh, you can follow our Facebook, jscottoutdoors, um, on Instagram at jscottoutdoors, and also our YouTube channel. We have uh, a successful YouTube channel with um, a million-plus uh, hits, uh, views, and uh, our subscribers, I uh, think we have over 1,200 and something uh, subscribers. And it seems like every day we we add to that. And uh, just thank you for all of the support. Um, If you have any comments, questions, or things you'd like to see on the show, uh, please email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. And uh, we appreciate any any comments that you have. And uh, we just thank you for being with us. And uh, spring is, is uh, definitely here, and the summer is right in front of us, and uh, it's going to be uh, a good time to get out and do some fishing. I'm going to be heading to Colorado uh, here soon, and uh, I've got lots of great fishing uh, in front of us here, and I uh, look forward to getting on the river, getting my boat all dialed in, and uh, get, uh, get back to rowing and, and uh, spending time out there on on those uh, great rivers. So uh, until next time, guys, God bless.